You are now listening to Exceptional Performance, The Leaders Podcast. Hi, I'm Eric, the host of Exceptional Performance, and my guest today is Rob Seguin. Hello and welcome, Rob. Thank you, Eric. I look forward to joining you for this podcast series. Rob is managing partner of the Productive Leadership Institute. So over the last few years, Rob has put together a 10-part process focusing on exceptional performance. The process was designed with help from his partners, including Dr. David Jameson, Chief Scientific Officer at Enveronics, a recognized global leader in corporate culture and analytics. Rob, would you provide our audience with an understanding of why you and your partners are putting a focus on exceptional performance? Certainly, Eric. The genesis for this work comes from observations amongst our partnership group, particularly since the last economic downturn, as to why some organizations are flourishing and some are struggling. Can you give us the highlights of that? Yeah, certainly. In our experience, every economic downturn uh, or difficulty provides some good opportunities for lessons learned if you pay close attention. And in this latest downturn, organizations that came out on top in our observations demonstrated three broad characteristics that create positive separation from their their competitors who may have fared more poorly or perhaps didn't even make it through. Uh, The three are, they challenge their core business assumptions all the time. They invest in their people, especially their most important people. We've dubbed these folks uh, potential game changers. And last but not least, they create a culture to optimize customer, vendor, and employee engagement. Rob, can you give us some examples of successful organizations that exhibit these characteristics specifically? Well, firstly, in the area of core business assumptions, exceptional performance organizations are very quick to figure out that, you know, what got you here is not going to get you there, and it may not be business as usual. Uh, For instance, some strategies that worked before the recession aren't going to work post-recession because major factors like how the customer is making the buying decision uh, have changed. Uh, Let me give you an example from the manufacturing sector. Uh, By spending a lot of time with their customers during the downturn, while their competitors were cutting customer-facing budgets like sales and marketing research, a leading provider of aluminum ladders to both the residential and commercial markets recognized that retailers and construction companies alike were willing to trade off some durability benefits that they wanted before for lower costs. And rather than lose market share to cheaper offshore imports, This innovative company decided to partner with a China-based maker of aluminum ladder components and lower their costs by shipping these components in bulk to North America for local assembly and customization by their people. Now, not only can can they compete on price in those markets where prices become more important, but they've actually enhanced their market position by being able to bring customization as a feature to their customers that the offshore low cost producers just can't match. Right. It's an innovative approach. Yes, but we think that both innovation and better business planning, what we call the what components of exceptional performance, are driven by a simple principle. You know, stay closer to your customers than do your competitors and listen carefully. You don't have to be perfect. You know, it reminds me of a story. When I was a little boy, I had a grandfather who was a lumberjack that lived in the forest. And we used to walk and go fishing. And my brothers used to tease me because I was so scared of bears. And I said to my grandfather, you know, Grandpa, what if we see a bear? He said, well, and just run. I said, well, Grandpa, my brother said don't run. He said, well, don't worry about it, kid. You don't have to outrun the grizzly. I said, what? He goes, yeah, you just have to run, outrun me. I'm old. <laughs> and so companies sometimes come to us and say, well, all the things we need to do, and we try to encourage them, look, just make sure you're out there before your competitors, you're listening more carefully, 
and you'll find that innovation comes more easily to you. Right. What about your second success factor, investing in so-called game changers? Well, when you think about it, Eric, why do most organizations write business plans in the first place? They're trying to look for ways to break trend. Uh, But ideas and strategies are just only one of the two essential elements in our view. You know, people implement business plans. And if a company finds its employees are not doing things differently after writing their plans, they really can't expect different results. So we see the identification of game changers and their development as the glue between great plans and great execution. Many organizations spend plenty of time writing annual business plans, filling out templates, and really not thinking. Well, if they do think, shame on them if those strategies where they've been able to separate themselves and create great ideas aren't complemented by spending enough time to identify who on their employee roster is going to be key to achieving the change in trend line performance that they're planning or promising to their bosses. Do you have any examples you could share with our audience? Plenty, but the one that comes immediately to mind is a client we're working with right now to help them develop their longer-term growth plans. They're primarily in the distribution business. They offer high-technology products and services to their clients from their innovative suppliers. Um, Through diligent customer market research, they identified a tremendous opportunity for growth in a new underserved segment that's related to their core business. But to implement their growth plans, they recognize that their key account managers, which are like salespeople, um, these are the game changers for their organization. They might, may not be way up on the organizational chart, but you know they need to address uh, a new audience with new skills. And to match up uh, with the business plan, uh, this company is now actively investing in what they call pull-through skills so that their key account managers, or CAMs as they call them, can help this new audience move the business and service their products to a new end user. It's a smart move. We agree. And if they just, you know, here's what could have happened in the past. They could have just thrown the business plan over the fence to the sales organization and said, you know, now it's yours. Go make it happen. Um, But they recognize the potential game-changing role of the CAMs and that they need to do some training. Um, You know, a lot of what we might call, call mediocre companies, Uh, They'll invest a lot of time and effort, perhaps, in planning, but they just don't pay enough attention to setting their people up to succeed, especially those game changers. And those, the list of people who you would see as being game changers can change from one business plan to the next. Sometimes it might be product development. Sometimes it might be the sales organization. Sometimes it's the operations department. But the key question to ask is, who's going to help us most effectively break trend and make the profitability changes and promises that we've put on the table. And these the mediocre companies that we observe, you know, they they'll sometimes after the fact wonder what went wrong, oftentimes blaming the disappointing results either on poor planning or bad employees that don't know how to implement. Interesting. Now, how about the third element for success, corporate culture? I mean, we've been seeing a lot more lately in the business press uh, about the importance of culture on performance. What's your view on that? Well, you know, one of the areas that we think uh, is important is that to get the most out of investing in corporate culture, companies should ensure they've got a great business plan first. It's foundational. And then if you want to think of it as a second story on the house, uh, make sure they've got great employees, that they've recruited well, they've trained well, and that these employees have been set up to succeed. Otherwise, when you go build the third story on the in the final architecture of the house, which we think is corporate culture, you know, it's just not going to work. It's a bit like having a group hug on a deck of a sinking ship. Right. 
So if organizations have all that, they have a good plan and good people who are well-trained, what do you see as the best approach to corporate culture development? We encourage our clients to do three things, define, measure, and lead their desired high-performance culture. Again, average organizations, uh, they often stop at defining their culture and then publishing their culture and value statements on a dormant or forgotten poster or website. And there's so much more to doing it right. But, you know, the effort's worth it. The data is very clear. And it's what you were saying before. You're, we're reading more about it now in the press, whether it's Harvard Business Review or other publications. Organizations who actively create, measure, and lead high-performance cultures significantly outperform their peer groups. You know, there's several examples noted in publications like Ross Sosodia's work a few years ago called Firms of Endearment, which was followed up by another book he wrote on a deep dive on the a whole foods culture called uh, conscious capitalism. And it's, there are a couple of our favorite contemporary business books, but suffice to say that, you know, it's commonly accepted, but uncommonly practiced this idea of creating an atmosphere where employees can flourish and create great value for their employers and the customers. Okay. So this is sounding like employee engagement. Is that really what you're getting at here? It is uh, in a very uh, broad sense, but I, I think it's better to define it, Eric, and, and this is where our, we've had a lot of discussion as a partnership group. It's all about the, your employees' ability to apply discretionary effort. You know, are they going to come in and give 100% every day or do just enough to keep their jobs? It kind of reminds me of a story. I was catching up with a longtime pharmaceutical client of mine just recently over lunch, and she just retired. And she was reminding me that a number of years ago when we were working together, um, there was a great example of this concept of discretionary effort, or as you call it, you know, employee engagement. They had 10 specialty sales representatives, and they all had equal-sized territories in terms of potential, and it was across Canada. And one of their reps, based in Halifax, was sell selling two and a half times more of their drug in multiple sclerosis, sclerosis than the next best specialty rep in Montreal. And I remember asking her one day, like, what, what's going on? He, she, she, she said, well, when they dug into it, the explanation was actually quite simple. His wife has MS. Now, the key takeaway from that story, from her perspective, and I agreed, wasn't so much that, you know, they should go out and recruit, you know, a bunch of salespeople or specialty reps whose family members are afflicted with the diseases that their technology treats or addresses. But she said the better application that they really focused in on was to co-create the environment with their employees where, the employees can bring their best to work more often. They had actually a campaign called the Thrive Campaign. And she said, you know, Rob, it was all about having a few more wow days from our employees and a few less woe days. Right. Okay, so the three elements you described, this exceptional performance organization, it sounds powerful. Uh, the good news for our audience is that we'll be exploring each element in detail, offering a 10-episode series which will help provide an understanding of the concepts, the tools to leverage, and the examples to learn from. Well, Eric, I know I can speak on behalf of our partnership group when I say that we're really looking forward to joining you and our listeners as we move forward. Thanks, Rob. So that's it for the kickoff episode of Exceptional Performance. Subscribe to our podcast and be sure to catch our next episode on defining the purpose of an organization.